Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcast of the Running Hook Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Running Hooks Basketball Power Hour. I'm Alex Burr, joined once again by my great friend, Dylan Hughes. Dylan, you kind of knew where this, you had to have known where this curveball was going. There was really no other place it could go. Purdue basketball. I, let me let me frame this in the question, and I'll, I'll just get you. I'll get you going. Is Matt Painter on the hot seat? I don't. I don't think so. Um, <clears throat> Matt Painter is typically one of my favorite people on earth because he he's he's competing against some tough recruiters, you know. Like he's obviously got IU down downstate, but he's also got the rest of the Big Ten that are always coming after Indiana guys. You know, he's got Ohio State, he's got Michigan, Michigan State. Like there's some tough programs out there that he's got to compete against, and he always manages to find guys that are good enough and put them in a system that you know they're not going to win a championship because they never. I'm not going to say never, but they rarely have a five-star, like, number one pick type of guy on the team. In the past few years, they've had some really good lead dogs. But this year, there just was no depth. No depth. And I, I saw this months ago that the guys around Zach Eady are just not consistent. And this was the first year in my life, I think, where they didn't have that awesome off-ball shooter. I mean, they just think think back to all the Purdue teams. Like, they've always had an off-ball shooter that's just been awesome and hits big shots. And that would be perfect to have with Zach Eady, you know, because Zach Eady attracts so much attention down low. And he's a good passer. He has good vision. If he had open shooters that were going to hit shots, like, they would still be in the tournament right now. They just do. They just had no consistency outside of Edie. So I knew it was going to be a short run. I didn't think they'd lose to a freaking 16 seed in the first game, but I'm not shocked because they just, they don't have any depth outside of Edie. And I saw people criticizing Edie after that game. He was not the reason they lost. He like, I'm sorry, but they were trapping him before he caught the ball, (laughs) which was insanely smart. Purdue didn't run any semblance of offense whatsoever. There was no floppies. There was no, hey, let's run, you know, what is it, horns? You know, there's no pistol action. There's nothing. No, like, none of the recognizable basketball plays that we've come to know and love over the years, Dylan. Okay. Um, They didn't even mix in an Edie screen. (laughs) Why didn't Edie set set a screen for a ball handler? I know he's probably tired. Right, he's getting bullied all game, getting hounded by these defenders. But just mix it up a little bit, and that—that's my contention. With I, I'm not saying Painter should be fired, right? I'm not contending he should lose his job or anything because it's you know, it's whatever. It's just a game, and it's a single elimination tournament. Anything can happen. Best of seven series. He's obviously not losing that game, or he's not losing that series. But Dylan, it's concerning that. They clearly didn't take Fairleigh Dickinson seriously, first and foremost. They were like, okay, they, they already had their mindset on Memphis or FAU. 
Um, and then two, they didn't adapt once the tides were going against them. And three, this is what the third big upset to happen to Purdue in the last few years. Didn't they lose to 15 seed? Was that last year? It was, was a, that, it was, it was a 13 seed. Okay. So it was two years ago where they were, they lost to the 15 seed. It was, yeah, that was two years ago. It was 2021. The point is it hasn't been a great run recently for the makers. Um, I don't know if anyone else calls them that. That's what I'm going to call them. Um, Dylan, I, I just, I think that Painter does a great job extracting a lot of talent out of guys, but he either needs to recruit better or coach better. It's at some point you run out of excuses, especially at a program like Purdue where you do have a little bit of expectations. Yeah. I mean, recruiting is always going to be the thing. And I think the problem with this current Purdue roster is some of the guys they expected to hit just haven't really hit. Like Caleb first is the guy I'm, I'm pretty sure he was Mr. Indiana basketball, like his final year in college or high school. I mean that, that dude had accolades and he has just not been very good at all. And, you know, Mason Gillis is a guy that at times is awesome. Like there was a game this year, he hit like seven or eight threes, but he's just not consistent. Braden Smith, I think is going to be really good, but he's just, he just didn't have the experience this year. He just wasn't consistent. Like it's Purdue recruiting always seems to be like one really good guy. And then a bunch of decent guys. And usually those decent guys are consistent. So, like, they can at least win games that way. But they don't have the top-end talent that a lot of these other top programs are going to have. I mean, like, Purdue has always been fighting in a higher weight class, I think, when you really think about it. Because they've always been, you know, ranked top 10 or top 5 or number 1 overall. Like, they're up there with these top programs as far as regular season, you know, dominance. But they don't have nearly the same recruiting. Like, they don't have the class that Duke has. They don't have the class North Carolina has or Texas. Like, and they probably never will. So, Matt Painter is constantly having to just work with what he has. And, you know, it's it's frustrating year after year losing when you have expectations. But, I don't know, it's just kind of the nature of the beast. Well, Dylan, hopefully um, you guys win a national championship in the next couple of years. I, I'm, re- I'm pulling for you. When they lost, I was obviously, you know, you want to see upsets happen. But at the same time, I was like, man, this sucks for Dylan. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to see. Because you're the biggest Purdue fan I know. I don't think it's really close. I was like, man, this sucks. I do not want to see this happen to you. So. Um, hopefully this gets remedied soon and we don't have to have this happen again. Um, injury news, just real quick, Dylan, it's not like anyone getting injured. I want to talk about, it's just that Carl Anthony towns finally made his return this week. Um, a little bit unexpected, I guess teams have been really vague with injuries this year. This year it's at all time high. You know, reevaluated in three weeks, reevaluated in however many weeks. 
unexpected setback. Look at the whole thing with Zion Williamson. He was supposed to be, you know, we haven't really heard anything about that. Um, but Carl Anthony Towns finally makes his, I, like I said, surprise debut on Wednesday against the Hawks. Um, scores 22 points in, I think, 26 minutes. I could have those numbers reversed. But Dylan, it's nice to see, like, a, I mean, all NBA caliber player finally making his return to the court after missing so many games. Yeah. And I mean, the Timberwolves made a pretty big trade since the last time he played, too, you know, getting Mike Conley in there. So, uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, this this Minnesota team has, I think, for everyone, has been one of the top teams of interest this year just because that Gobert trade. <laughs> I mean, pretty much everyone was on board that the Gobert trade was just bad. But when you have a team with Cat and Anthony Edwards, too, who's just, you know, become exactly who we thought he'd be, I mean, it's, God, it's it's hard not to remain interested in them and think that they – could pull something crazy off. So I don't know. Um, I'm excited. He's back at, this is like the perfect time with the playoffs getting close to uh, come back and, and get his shake the rust off. Um, so I, I'm excited to watch them. I, they, they remain one of my top teams of intrigue right now. For sure. And I, I want to see, you know, like you said, that trade was massive. Um, the team really kind of gelled playing with Rudy and Kyle Anderson out there. Um, I want to see that element of it. It's just a lot to take in for Carl Anthony Towns, who when he's healthy is a top 25 type player in the NBA. And I think that he wasn't playing well when the season first started. Hopefully this extended period of rest and recovery will have him rejuvenated for the stretch run. And it's only 10 games left till the playoffs. <laughs> And the Wolves are, I'm going to pull up the standings. I have the standings. Um, They're 37 and 37 right now. They're a game behind the Warriors for the sixth seed. I don't think they'll get to the sixth seed. If the Wolves avoid the play-in, that's going to be like a remarkable thing, given how their season started. They were down in like the dumps at the beginning of the season. We're not really going to talk much about the West playoffs because I think the only West team we're talking about is the Spurs and they are currently 14th. Um, Dylan, do you have any thoughts on the West play in play in slash playoff race where seeds four through 12? We, I think we can eliminate the Blazers from this are separated by three games. Yeah, it's pretty nutty, man. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what to root for. I want to see OKC in there. I do. And part of that is because they're finally not tanking. So I can kind of let off the presty hate gas pedal a little bit here. But I mean, like, <clears throat> it's starting to come together for them. You know, I really wish Chet Holmgren didn't get hurt. Because <laughs> if he was there. They probably would have won 45 games this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, easily. I mean, it, it would have been it would have been fun, but there's a lot of weird stuff here. Like the the Lakers thing is obviously going to be interesting because you know LeBron doesn't have much time left, and he said he was going to go hard these last few weeks, and then he got hurt like the next day. Um, but they're still they're still holding it up. Like they those moves those moves made sense, and they're paying off right now. So, I'm interested to see what happens with them, but 
yeah, I mean, a team like Portland is not too far out. Like they, if they get hot at the right time, Utah has been, you know, pretty good this year. Not as good as they were at the start, but there's, there's still a lot to play for. There's still a lot to, to figure out in this final few weeks. Austin Reeves, man, (laughs) that guy's good. Like Austin Reeves, that Lakers team, dare I say a fun team. If that team like was without LeBron the whole year, I think I'd appreciate them. Like it was just AD doing this AD. I I need to see how many games he's played. Cause I, I really need to consider him for all NBA because he's been amazing this year. There was one game I watched a couple of years, a weeks ago for the, um, it, it was Raptors week. And I think he had like eight points that game, but he just utterly dominated that game to the point where it was like, this is an all NBA kind of performance where you score eight points <laughs> and you still just are like in complete control of the game. It was, you would have loved that game. Um, now on to the bad teams, Dylan. So the conceit of this episode, I talked about it at the end of the last episode. We want to talk about the Pistons, the Spurs, and the Magic. And to throw Dylan a bones so that we weren't talking about complete garbage, we're going to do something we've never done on the Power Hour before. Talk about a team for a third time. That's right. We're going to go back to the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, is it because my audio quality was bad on the episode where I talked about the 76ers? Maybe. Don't ask. But the 76ers, I think it's safe to say, are a title contender. Um, one of the best teams in the league. And it's nice to have Dylan talk about a good team. So I, I think, Dylan, we agree. When we did the Power Hour the way we did it, the platonic ideal was talking about either the really horrible teams or talking about the teams contending for the titles. Like, yeah, the teams in the middle aren't terrible. But the, I don't think the teams in the middle excite really either of us. We like talking about either greatness or absolute absolute dredge. I, I think that's a, safe to say, no? Yeah. I mean, that's that's where the discovery's really at, you know? Like, that. that's what really ultimately matters about an NBA season is who is going to win the finals or at least have a shot at it. And who is going to get the number one pick? <laughs> right. I mean, the the gray area in between, you know, for a Pacers fan like myself, I, I probably should care more about it. But after a decade plus of pain, I've decided to only focus on the shiny objects, which are the final teams and the teams that are terribly horrendous, but have light at the end of the tunnel. And I'd say the Detroit Pistons certainly fit that bill. Um, they've lost by my count. 17 of their last 19 conservatively. Um, their two wins were against the Spurs in double overtime on February 10th. And then they beat the Pacers on And I don't believe Halliburton played in that game. So the last five includes the uh, Pacers game, 117-119. They got destroyed by the Wizards, 117-97. They lost to the Nuggets, 119-100. Lost to the Heat, 112-100. Lost to the Hawks, 
Um, the Pistons right now are shutting down a lot of guys. I have ESPN's injury report pulled up. On the Pistons injury report, we have, okay, obviously Cade, because he hasn't played since, I let's just call it November. Isaiah Livers, out. Duran, out. Alec Burks, out. Boyan Bogdanovich, out. Isaiah Stewart, um, out for the season, basically. Um, Hamadou Diallo, out for the season, basically. Dylan, I think the the Pistons. I, I forgot to mention sixteen and fifty seven, worst record in the NBA. I think the Pistons are packing it in. <laughs> I think they're done. I think they're trying to get. I don't. I don't know. It seems like they're trying to get the worst record in the league. Yeah, I mean they're doing a good job. You know, they're doing a good job at trying to get the worst record in the league. Um, which you know we we have talked about this exact moment for months that the final few weeks of the season will lead to some of the worst tanking that we probably will ever see because Victor Wembenyana is right on the other side of it. And any team, and not, not to say that these teams that are in contention for the number one pick have been competitive at all this season, but they are now going into hyperdrive with showcasing just how terrible they can be. And the Pistons are doing a wonderful job. The Pistons traded Sadiq Bay, which didn't seem to make sense to anyone, and are now starting Rodney Magruder at small forward. So if you don't believe that they deserve the number one pick after that kind of a move, then I don't know what you're thinking, unless you're a Charlotte person, because they've, they've packed it in pretty good too, just with building the team the way they did. But this Piston team is like eight big men, seven guards, and like nothing in between. I mean, they've got Bagley out there. You know, they've got Wiseman in the mix now. Of course, the two centers they came into the year with, Stewart and Duran, you know, are not playing right now. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I watched the, this team the other night, and I almost threw up multiple times because first of all, I'm sorry as a former pacer, this hurts me to say, but Corey Joseph is just horrible to watch horrible. And I, I wasn't a huge fan of him at the end of his pacer tenure either. Cause like he just does not pass the ball. I mean, as a point guard, he he's always looking for his shot and part of me almost respects it. And he's good at making shots. You know, it's not like he's a bad player, but God, he just does not pass. So watching him and Marvin Bagley just get all the shots, it, it was not enjoyable for me to watch. Well, Wiseman um, looks pretty decent, I'll say. Um, Killian Hayes, if you catch him on the right night, he looks like he could be a decent player. You catch him on the wrong night, he looks like, why is this guy in the league? And the numbers back up, why is this guy in the league? Not like less than 10 points. Um, 37% from the field, 28% from three. It's the only bright spots for the season, I would say, has been Jaden Ivey and the collection of big guys. I wouldn't even know if I'd throw Bagley in that mix because, you know, Bagley's been fine. 
I don't know if Detroit's his ultimate destiny. <laughs> they have way too many big guys. Like just way too many. You can't play all these big guys. The NBA has been evolving into a one big man. Like, I mean, yes. Yes, there are teams that play with two big men. However, one of those has to shoot. And Isaiah Stewart can't be your answer for that shooter. Isaiah Stewart, who is bombing threes this year, by the way, 33% from three this year. But I mean, let, let's talk about Ivy. Okay. When you watch this Pistons team, what did you like when you watched Ivy? Because we, we watched the same game. We watched the um, Heat game. The Heat were kind of like throwing the kitchen sink at Ivy, which is kind of what they do. But I, I kind of like how Ivy was still making stuff happen in his own way. It wasn't like the best game statistically for him, but it still felt like he was trying to make stuff happen in spite of his lack of statistical impact, let's say. Yeah, I mean, like, watching him at Purdue last year, I just knew he would work in the NBA because he just he knows how to find his space. And it's hard for him not to find his space because he's so freaking fast. And he's so, I mean, he's not always under control, but he's most of the time keeps himself in check. You know, I kind of saw him as like a Russell Westbrook type of guy in his ability to be chaotic, but also not reckless. And of course there are times where the recklessness does come in (laughs) And as a rookie on a bad team, you know, that's sure to come out in Ivy a few times a night, probably. But I still think his, his he's just so good, really, all around. I mean, he's still not the best shooter. And that that was pretty clear coming into the season that his shot would be shaky at times. Um, but he's got great vision. He's got great balance. He's so fast. He's really good at making like quick whip passes across the floor. And, you know, you may not have always seen it this year, but he can be an elite defender. I think he has really good hands, really good hands. He's smart. Like, I think I really think he's going to be a good player. And I'm excited to see him with Cade. It's him and Kate, I don't think are the perfect fit, but I I'm interested to see how it goes because if Jaden Ivy commits really to just being an awesome, like slasher off ball, I think him and Kate are going to work really well together. It could be like the idealized, like you brought up Westbrook. I think Westbrook is who I wanted to compare him to as well, but in like, I, I kind of wanted to take a different angle to the Westbrook thing where it was like Westbrook, you know, played kind of the wrong way in college. You know, Westbrook was kind of forced to play shooting guard in college, you know, off Darren Collison. Ivy, you know, if you were going to train Jaden Ivy to be a pro player, Dylan, you would agree. You'd have him run spread, pick and roll, especially with the shooters Purdue had last year. But that's not what Matt Painter did. It's fine. You know, Ivy's still going to be fine. He's only 19 or he's only he, he came out as a sophomore, but he's still pretty young. And plus, I think what Ivy has going for him, too. Sons of coaches and sons of players have such a distinct advantage over people that aren't either of those things. And it's, you know, 
It's like, why are there so many sons of players in the NBA now? Because they have, like, they understand they get their father's training or they get their, you know, in Jaden Ivey's case, he gets his mother's, you know, his mother was around NBA players, was around NBA schemes, was around NBA, you know, all the NBA stuff. Plus, his mother was a really good player in college. I don't know if she played in the WNBA. I'm not going to, I'll look that up real quick. I'm pretty sure she did. In any event, she was a really good player herself. Um, so he has, he's coming in with all this knowledge. Oh, and I should mention, she's the head coach at uh, Notre Dame right now. Um, so he's coming in with all this knowledge of basketball already, which is why I was like, okay, I, I can convince myself of this guy becoming a point guard. But like, Maxi. Right, like just to compare another guy with a similar body type. I think Ivy's a little bit taller than Maxi. I don't think Maxi. I haven't seen anything from Maxi that's like you know this guy could be a point guard. You know, I don't think if I threw the ball in this guy guy's hand for and gave him a thirty five percent usage rate, I don't think he could stumble his way into seven assists. You know, if you gave him like the eighteen Rockets, you know, where like the greatest supporting cast of all time for like an average point guard. I don't think he could stumble his way into seven assists. I think he'd average a ton of points, but he'd average like six assists or something like that. I think Ivy could get his way to eight, nine assists in that system being this raw. And I think as he develops his game, as he gets more NBA reps, I think he's going to be, you can see the IQ already. It's just, he's still young. He's still raw. And like you said, not reckless. I don't think, I think you were right not saying reckless, but just sometimes his brain moves faster than, or his body moves faster than his brain does. When that catches up, it's going to be dangerous, especially playing with a guy like Kate, who already plays with such composure, that it's going to be, it's going to be a problem for the league, really. I mean, he realistically could become like the best transition player in the game. When, like, just imagine Cade. Cade is so balanced. Like, we're talking about balance. Like, Cade is the definition of freaking balance. Like, he just knows he knows how to keep himself in the right position and, and kind of move the chess pieces. So, imagine him with the ball in transition looking for Jay Nivey up the floor. It's going to be a – it's not going to be a guaranteed bucket, but it's going to be freaking close because Jay Nivey is faster than everyone. He's pretty freaking strong. And he has good touch around the rim. Just imagine that guy running in transition with a great passer like Cade right next to him. I mean, it's, I'm telling you, those two with whichever big man they choose, because they're going to have to probably pick one or two at most of those guys. And then whatever guy they get in the draft. I mean, I think they have a shot of making a huge leap next season because that talent nucleus they have is really fucking interesting. Well, I'll tell you who I'd pick out of the big men. I'm sorry. I just, Stuart, we've seen three years of this guy. He's gotten like maybe this much better. You know, and I understand it's been a hard situation. I think he could maybe help as a backup five on like a team that needs center help, but not this team. Right. You throw him as the third center on Minnesota in place of Nas Reed like break class in case of emergency and let Nas Reed thrive as the backup center somewhere else. That's great. Free Nas Reed, by the way. Um, 
I think. I think Bagley, he's gone too at some point. They can't justify keeping him around. I think the two, I really like the way Wiseman has looked um, since he's gotten there. 71% at the rim. <laughs> now it's only 53rd percentile, um, but 55 of 78. He's already taken way more shots at the rim in 15 games than he did in Golden State. Um, he only took 44 shots at the rim in Golden State. And it felt like this this season, of course. It just felt like he wasn't getting the opportunity to shine in Golden State. Steve Kerr had such a quick hook for him. And Wiseman makes a lot of mistakes off the ball, right? But again, it's different when you're in Golden State and you're playing next to the greatest defensive player of his generation. He's barking at you, right? You're playing next to Looney, who's pretty close to perfect, for that spot. Um, and Looney is in like basically his prime, right? So you have that going against you. You have a system that's really hard to learn for an average player, let alone a you know, a 19-year-old. <laughs> and then you get hurt, you don't play for a year and a half. Then you have to try to relearn this system. It just was a mess. And I'm glad he's in a place where he can learn the um piston system and it'll be a lot simpler for him he i mean he's already looking a lot better than he did in golden state and then i duran when he plays he looks amazed like he didn't play much this week because he i think he hurt himself in that um in that heat game but he's looked good when i've seen him too i think those two are the keepers for me and duran's the youngest player in the league so he's probably gonna need some time anyway but you have those two as your center rotation, Dylan. I think you're in pretty good shakes, especially if Wiseman develops into like half of what we thought he could be. Yeah, from from the Pistons people I follow on Twitter, which is more than you would expect, actually. I I think the consensus among those fans is that Duran is the guy, no doubt. Like it just seems like he fits with those other guys the best he just has a presence that the other guys don't really have and Isaiah Stewart I think we've always liked him but like we definitely wanted him to become more and the fact that he hasn't is kind of like well okay maybe maybe we need someone else here and I think that's why them taking Duren was kind of a surprise like it surprised me at least it seemed like it surprised some other people where it's like whoa like Isaiah Stewart was pretty good so we don't really need to, you know, get another center. But I think maybe they kind of looked at it like the Nets did with Jared Allen. And I don't want to compare Jared Allen to Isaiah Stewart at all because Jared Allen is awesome. And he is one of the best defensive centers in the league. But I also think the Nets were like, well, Nick Claxton's pretty freaking good, too. We could get away with this guy being our center if we're going to go get James Harden, you know. And of course that whole thing crumbled for many different reasons. Nothing did not have to do with Jared Allen or Nick Claxton at all. But I think center is a position where you can afford to take a step back. Like you don't need to have an awesome guy. And that circles back to Wiseman with the Warriors. I think everyone talked themselves into Wiseman with the Warriors just because they had the opportunity 
to take for the first time ever to take a dominant big man. And if you look at the Warriors run, they didn't need that at all. Like they had, a, they had a version of Bogut who was just a great passer and a smart defensive player. And that was all they really needed out of him. So you have Bogut and then you go down to Festus Azili and Kavon Looney. And like, it was really just guys that were going to get the job done. They were going to get 10 points and eight rebounds and two blocks. And that's really all you needed from them. And I think everyone thought Wiseman was going to step into the Warriors and just learn from Draymond Green and it was going to be great. And I think that's what Wiseman kind of hoped to do. Like, I actually respect the fact that he was the second overall pick and he got put in a bad situation. He just, he seemed like he was trying his best to fit in and it just wasn't working, you know, because here's the truth and everyone should have saw this coming. Draymond Green is not a guy that's going to teach other players on his team stuff. He literally punched Jordan Poole. Like, he he is much more likely to punch you than to teach you anything. So, I don't think Wiseman or really any other big man was going to really going to glean too much from Draymond. Like, Draymond is just going to do his thing, and he's going to be awesome at it. And the center next to him is just going to have to do their best to stay out of the way. And Wiseman is not really a stay-out-of-the-way kind of guy. So, he needed he needed to be featured somewhere. And as we're seeing right now, this is a much better place for him. And even if he's just a backup there, like he, I think he's going to do fine. And maybe he'll grow into a player that can demand like, you know, starting money at some point from another team. But for now, I think this is a good spot for him. For sure. Um, I don't really have much else to want to talk about with the Pistons. Um, Buddy Bayheim, I'm glad your dad's retiring. Um, I there's not really much else to say about them. Um, yeah, they're they're the worst team in the league for a reason. Um, this rebuild, by the way, I I just want to cap it off. You know, I've been kind of, you know, I'm more of an OKC apologist than you. I have been. You know, you've been harder on OKC. Kale has been harder on OKC. A lot of people have been hard on OKC. I just would like to remind you, Dylan, that Detroit's been building since the 1920 season. Mm-hmm. So this is year four of the rebuild now. Um, Blake made all NBA in 2018-19. That was five seasons ago now. Um when they lost, was that to the Raptors in the first round? Or I don't remember who they lost to in the first round that year. They got smoked by somebody. Um, point being is that this rebuild has been going on for a very long time. They're just now looking in like a promising place where you have, it took a lot of picks. It took a lot of, you know, the cupboard, if you remember, was bare than bare. Like, all they had was Sekou Demboya to show for, you know, Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin. That was literally it. That whole, you know, little Stan Van Gundy era. And it's been, it's been way too long. <laughs> the Pistons, when the Pistons are good, it's better for the NBA. Like, I know we say that about a lot of teams, but the Pistons being good is good for the NBA. Like, a lot of the best eras of the NBA have coincided with like that late 80s era 
is a time a lot of people reminisce for. Pistons were good. Um, the Shaq Kobe era, Pistons good. Now look at this era. I'm not saying this era is bad, but when the Pistons are better, it's better for the NBA. That's all I'm gonna say. Um, another team that when they're good, it's better for the NBA. Although to be fair, that could just be because they were literally not bad for like 30 years, except for two seasons. The San Antonio Spurs, who are 19 and 54, good for 14th in the West. They are three games behind the Pistons for the worst record in the NBA. Um, yes, I am looking at Tankathon for that information. Um, quick spin of the Tankathon, by the way, has the Magic winning the first pick. Um, I thought you needed to know that. Um, so the Spurs had a 16 game losing streak, and then they disastrously won. Five of their last 13. I thought you should know that. Last five. Lost to the Mavericks, 128-137 in overtime. Lost to the Grizzlies, 126-120 in overtime. Beat the Hawks, 126-118, a game, the game both of us watched. Um, in a game that was disastrous for the Hawks. I don't think it really could have gone worse. Um, lost to the Pelicans, 119-84. Lost to the Hawks. Lost to the Bucks, 130-94 on Wednesday. Um, this team has been tanking all year right now. Their injury report is massive too. I don't feel like reading off all the names, but it is, this team has had 23 guys play for them this year. The mark of a true tanking team. What was your biggest takeaway watching the Spurs? Well, it's definitely, it's definitely interesting. I mean, I, I feel like nothing has really changed since last year. Like, I don't, they haven't made any progress, which is surprising. I feel like, I mean, the Spurs have always been a team that we always said they will not tank. This is just not who they are. Like, they had Aldridge, they had DeMar DeRozan, they had DeJounte Murray. And they were just on the cusp of the playoffs every year. Like they would either just miss it or they would just make it. And if they made it, they would like give the team a really good run and it would be great. But like everyone knew they weren't going anywhere. Like, you know, DeMar DeRozan is not going to be your best player and lead you to the finals. Like, it's just not how it works. And DeMar DeRozan's awesome. I love him. He's actually probably one of my favorite players in the league. But he should be your second or third guy, you know. So everyone knew they needed to make changes. And they've made a lot of changes. I think they've actually made more changes than I expected. Like, I didn't expect them to trade Murray and Derek White, you know. Like, I, I didn't see that. And, I mean, the Yaka Pirtle offer was just a golden ticket. Like, they had to take that. You know, Yaka Pirtle was too good for them, but, man. They got a great return on that. And now it's like, I don't know. Like, Kelton Johnson, to me, is still just I, – I, he needs a different team, I think. Because the way – this is the trajectory of Kelton Johnson's career that I see. I actually see him like DeMar DeRozan a little bit, where he's just an awesome scorer. And, you know, he's not always going to get the most free throw attempts or he's not going to shoot a ton of threes. But, like – he has the ability to just score 30 plus easily. And that was kind of DeMar DeRozan on the Raptors. Like it was almost inconsequential scoring. Like it was scoring. It was impressive, 
but you're not winning playoff games with DeMar DeRozan, you know, and that was proven. That was proven with those Raptors teams that as good as him and Lowry were, they just, they were not going to make much headway in the playoffs. And then DeMar went to San Antonio and just got better and became a much more impactful force. And it didn't seem like he even changed his game much. It was just more refined. And I think maybe that was San Antonio's coaching or the players he was with. I don't know. But when he got to San Antonio, it just felt different. And now on the Bulls, he's taken even more of a step where I think he's even more dominant in the way he plays. And Kelton Johnson, I kind of wonder if it's the same thing with him, where he needs to go into a different environment with – you know, I, I can't say better coaching because he's got Popovich, but with a better supporting cast. And I I don't know, man. I think he could just be awesome, but we don't we don't see it consistently with the Spurs. And a lack of talent around him definitely could be the problem, but I don't know. He's played with some pretty good players up to this point. Here's here's the question, okay. I think this is by far his best season. He's gotten a ton better, like averaging 22 points a game on 45% shooting. Um, when teams know you're the first option, I don't think that's a fluke. Um, I thought maybe, you know, like we saw Jeremy Grant's efficiency plummet, right? As the season went on with the Pistons, like we can kind of agree looking back now, Jeremy Grant's first Pistons year, like the first month or so, that was a fluke. Kelton Johnson's been putting up numbers for the last year and a half now, basically. Um, at this point, you can't deny it. Now, here would be my contention, and I would contend this with Vassell, too. I just don't think those guys are good enough on their own to win games, right? I think those guys are ideally, I think ideally, Johnson's your second best player and Vassell's your third best player. Or flip-flop those. I think both of those guys are really good, but I don't think either of them can be your first option, right? I think both of them... Because, yeah, the Spurs supporting cast sucks right now. <laughs> don't get me wrong. But even when it was better, DeJounte, we see, we're seeing him in a better situation with better players. And the Spurs... The Hawks are going to have, like, four more wins than the average, like, last couple of years Spurs season. Um... Anyway, I think you throw Wimbenyama on this team or you throw Scoot Henderson on this team. This is a perfect Scoot Henderson team, by the way. Um, Trey Jones, bless his heart. Just throw him back on the bench. <laughs> a Jones is not meant to start in the NBA. I'm sorry. It, it's Trey. amazing for him and Trey are just watching him. It's like you love watching him, but you know he's just going to get like nine points and four right. assists. No. <laughs> right. Like, I'm not saying they're the same guy because they're not, but 6.3 assists to 1.7 turnovers. I mean, 26% from three. You know, that's basically early Tyus Jones, like pretty much to a T. They're not going to win having him as their starting point guard. They're not going to win starting Jeremy Sohan 53 games, shooting 24% from three. Sohan's a great defender. He should be used as like a utility guy, right? Like he should be coming off the bench. I think a lot of other things need to improve in San Antonio, but I think ideally those two guys are secondary options coming off the primary option. And I think that's why 
they're taking this year is to find is to get Wembenyama first and foremost. I mean, the Spurs only tank to get that guy. Yeah. Right. Like that's that's the primary reason we've seen them tank the last. I mean, how long ago was 1987? They've only really tanked hard in 87, 97, and now 23. And everyone was kind of like, hey, this, I bet you the Spurs are going to tank hard in 2023. And guess what? They are. Everyone saw this coming from a mile away. Like, this is the Spurs. Like, okay, we see a guy we really like. We're going to tank hard. We're going to try to get that guy. Now, the difference is, I bet you this is the time their luck runs out. Mm. You're not going to roll snake eyes, you know. Or whatever the lucky, lucky sevens. I don't know. You're not going to keep rolling whatever the lucky thing is. It's just not. The luck always runs out. You know this. It's, that's just how it is in life, too, generally speaking. You just don't keep getting lucky. And now the the differences with this draft is there's tons of great consolation prizes. <laughs> yeah. Literally. Like, Scoot Henderson, if you get the second pick, Scoot Henderson is... Number one prospect in so many other drafts. It's not even funny. Brandon Miller, number one prospect in a lot of other drafts. Not even funny. You have those three guys at the top of your draft. Okay. So I think this draft is a great time to tank in general. Um, but that, that'd be my contention is that Vassell and Johnson are both, they're both really good players, but they're the guys around the guy. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of teams out there like that. I think it's, it's not a super unique place to be in, but I think the Spurs should be happy to have those two guys. Um, And, and and Devin Vassell is just, man, I think he more than anyone in the league is just quietly freaking awesome. Like looking at some of these stat lines, like you will watch a game and it's like, oh, yeah, Vassell had a pretty good game. But then it's like, oh, my God, he had 25, 5, and 5. Like, I didn't realize it was that good. Like, I, I have that with him. Him and Scotty Barnes, I feel like, are the two most where I just watch them. And it's like, I know that they're good. But I see the stat line. It's like, man, I didn't realize they were that good. And it's like, it's just a consistent thing. It's like, man, I can't believe he put up that stat line. And that's, I think that's a great sign as, like, a secondary player. If you can just quietly put in some work all around the board, like that's a great thing to have as a secondary option, you know, like he doesn't demand a ton. He just kind of makes, he, he makes use out of what he has. And on a Spurs team like this, he has, he does have a lot of opportunity because there's just not a ton of other guys that are better than him. And him with like women, Yana, like God, women, Yana there would be so interesting because I mean, he's like, he, he could be Tim Duncan, you know what I mean? Like a more modern Tim Duncan, he could be. So it, it would be kind of cool to see him end up there for that reason. But yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, I don't think they need to look at moving those two guys at all. I think if you slot in one of those top picks with those two right there, you're in a pretty good spot, you know? And, and Sohan to me, actually, he reminds me a lot of Kyle Anderson, like I could see him having a Kyle Anderson career, which, you know, again, like I think the Spurs see this stuff and they think back to what's worked from the past. Like, Hey, this guy's like a taller Kyle Anderson. That sounds pretty good to me, you know? 
and he's a little bit more fun because he'll like dye his hair different colors every night. So, you know, I, I think they have a good crew here and, and Zach Collins, man, I don't want to drink the Kool-Aid, but God, he is, looks like who we wanted him to be. Finally. Like he's, he's looking the part all these years later. And just because of the history, I really do not want to like believe it's real yet. But he he has been pretty freaking good stepping in for Pirtle. Well, again, it's Zach Collins. Can't really put your 100% of your faith in it. Um, Dylan, I know the the Hawks game wasn't the best game for this guy. But Malachi Branham, keep your eye on him. Yeah. That's all I'll say. That guy is a baller. He's not going to... He's not getting like a ton of shots because, you know, he's kind of like at best third on the shot chart right now. But from basically for February, okay, we'll do February to the Pacers game. 16 points a game on 49% from the field, 37% from three. Um, now he's not, he's not really getting consistent touches, but Dylan, the guy can play. He's good. And when he gets his shot, like, and when he becomes more developed, I'll say, he's going to be a problem. Not going to be on my all-rookie team, but he's one of the rookies I'm keeping my eye on next year. I don't really have anything else to say about San Antonio. I think we talked about the two guys we needed to talk about. I, I don't think there's really... Unless you have Ken Birch thoughts. <laughs> No, no Ken Birch. Uh, I will say I, I liked what I saw from Champagny. I think he's a guy that could be a decent, like, bench, you know, eighth guy. I mean, me and you love eighth guys more than probably most people. So I feel like he should get a little bit of discussion. Can I say, can I say one thing? Sandro Mamu Kalashavelli. Yeah, I can play a little bit. I'm just going to call him Mamu. A little bit. Every, I don't know. Just seeing some stuff. He can dribble a little bit. They're letting him They're letting him play free. Okay? And when the Spurs are letting a guy do that, I'm like, I'm intrigued. So, so just keep an eye out. If, if they let a foreign guy off the, off the loose, if they, let it, if they let a foreign guy loose, it could get, it could get dangerous for the rest of the league. Like, that's, right. that's clear many times over. Right, exactly. So, averaging two assists in 20 minutes as a power forward, like, off the bench, I'm sorry, I'm intrigued. Yeah. So, yeah. let's go ahead and move on to the Magic, who are 31-43, and 43, good for 13th in the Eastern Conference. They are, let's see, how many games back of the um, top spot? They are 14 and a half games back of the, of the top spot, so they are not going to catch the Pistons, but they are um, the Wizards are a game and a half better than they are. The Blazers are two games better than they are. So they're pretty clearly fifth right now um, in the lottery odds. Last five games for the Magic, you have them. So let's see, five. You have them losing to the Suns, 116-113. You have them beating the Clippers, 113-108. Losing to the Lakers, 105-111. Beating the Wizards 112, 122, 112, then beating the Knicks 111, 106. 
Dylan, this Magic team, looking like a pretty easy favorite next year to make at least a play-in game. Dude, this Magic team reminds me of those early Thunder teams with Durant and Westbrook and Harden and Ibaka. And it's like, you watch them, and it's like, dude, take the first-round pick away. It doesn't even matter. This team next year with a little bit more time, this team on paper is is a playoff team and could be really freaking good in like two or three years without even having draft picks. Like just the talent they have there. I mean, Paolo and Franz are just like, those are tier one guys to me. Like those guys are great. Then you throw in Wendell, Fultz, Suggs, and like Cole Anthony, like they have so much there. And I don't even want like John Isaac, like he doesn't matter either. You know, it'd be great to have him, but it just doesn't seem like he's going to stick around. I don't know. But these guys are blossoming. Like they're competitive every night. They're fun to watch. I mean, that Knicks game the other night, I watched that. That was a fun game to watch. And I don't, I don't often enjoy watching Knicks games. I think most people know that. But I really enjoyed watching that game. And I will tell you, because we talked about the Magic a month or two ago or something. And I, said, I, I think I said similar things. Like, I, I kind of saw this with them. But the difference now is I think Paolo, he reminds me of Cade, where Cade kind of came into the league. And he knew he was great and, like, he was seeing it. But he was still, like, the rookie. Like, he still kind of had to prove it to himself that he was unstoppable at this level. And I think I saw the same thing with Paolo earlier this season where he was almost kind of hesitant at times. And he was almost, like, still trying to prove to himself that he is the best player on the floor every night. And I think right now we're seeing what we saw in Cade at the end of last year and this year where he steps onto the floor every night and he thinks he's the best player on the floor. And once, once a guy with that much talent thinks like that, it's, it's scary. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, Listen, he's been pretty dominant as a rookie. I've seen a lot of people like there's been like, you know, we're reaching the cycle where you need to find new content. And there have been people saying that Jalen Williams and OKC is rookie of the year. Stop it. Stop yeah. it. He's not. Fellow's <laughs> still averaging 20. It's been 67 games. He's still at 20 points a game. It's he's at 7.4 free throw attempts. Stop it. We can just we don't have to keep up the charade. It's not like Jalen Williams is a good defender. He's. But he's not this guy, right? You brought up the Thunder comparison. I have a comparison I think you'll like. I, I, I have two good comparisons coming into this that I knew you would love. You know I don't like texting you when we do power hours, my comparisons beforehand, because I like surprising you. I like to imagine this Thunder team is what would happen if you didn't give the Celtics, the Tatum Brown Celtics, Al Horford and Kyrie and Hayward. Mm. So they kind of had to figure it out on their own, mm. which I don't know what that will mean for them, right? It could mean a lot of things. But for one, Tatum and Brown weren't getting this much usage 
in year one and year two, right? Um, I don't know who would be. I know one thing for sure. Cole Anthony is definitely the Rozier in this equation. <laughs> I don't know who the Marcus Smart. I think Fultz is probably Marcus Smart. Honestly, if you want to, Carter probably is the Al Horford, but he's not like the old sagey Al Horford. He's like 2008 Al Horford at this point. They're honestly the same age. Um, Wendell, by the way, is fucking amazing. <laughs> that dude is so good at basketball. He is. This team is really good. They just don't have. Like, I, I pulled up a list of free agents. Do you know they're going to have. The Magic are going to have like 40 million in cash face next summer. So I pulled up a list of free agents. I'm trying to find like a shooter, right? Like, see, there's no way Malik Beasley's team option gets turned down. He'd be perfect for them. Like, trying to find someone who would be, I don't know, Brooke Lopez, maybe? Joe Ingles would be good for, Nas Reed. Nas Reed off the bench for this team. Throw 10 million a year at him. The Wolves aren't going to match that. Um, this team to me just needs. So I don't know how much you've watched the Thunder, but Isaiah Joe has. Do you remember that name from the? I think he played for the Sixers. Yes, I do. Isaiah Joe has turned into like one of the weirdly most important players for them. They need to find their Isaiah Joe, where he just comes in, rains threes, right, and makes stuff happen. Um. Weirdly, I think OKC is a team Orlando should be looking at a lot too because, but not for the reason you're probably thinking of what I might say. So I, I'm thinking they should be looking at OKC because I think playing small, I know Wendell's great. I think I'd be looking at playing Paolo at the five a lot more. He's got the body for it. And yeah, he's not, probably not got the hops for it. But, like, you have Bull Bull, a ready-made, like, weak side rim protector on this team. What do you have him for if you're not going to play Paolo at the five and use it? Like, he's got a strong frame already. And Paolo at the five, can you imagine running a pick and roll with Paolo as your roller? Catching it at the elbow? I, I think that would be my ideal use for Paolo. Now, again, I think he probably wants to play the wing more which I don't blame him, but you would agree. Paolo is more of a four than a three anyway. Oh yeah. I think, I think his like idealized version at some point is going to be playing the five. He. Franz is definitely a wing. He's too small to not be a, like a wing. Um, and he's quick enough, like where he's, it's not like ridiculous where he's a wing. Um, by the way, Damian Lee might be perfect for that description when I was talking about the Isaiah Joe guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been really good for Phoenix this year. Um, this team, I think, has guys, like you were saying. And like you said, Paolo believes he's the best player. They could, I think, fight for the play-in next year. I think... Talent wise, they're as like they're up there with like the Bulls. They're I think they're up there with the Pacers, Raptors, um, the Wizards. I think next year, it's going to be interesting to see what moves they make in the off season to like complement their guys. And well, you said you had something to say about Markel Fultz. What do you What do you got to say about Markel Fultz? I want to hear what you got to say about that. 
Uh, yeah. So, I mean, every, anyone that's listening to this podcast knows I love Markel Fultz. And by the way, Markel Fultz, the Markel Fultz and Ben Simmons, like, symmetry is actually pretty crazy when you think about it. That they actually have had a very similar situation where they came into the league, the number one pick, go to the Sixers, have some injuries, have some mental health things, but they've like gone the complete opposite direction. And, you know, Fultz has had a little bit more time to figure it out, I think. And he's had a little bit more time in his new environment. And Brooklyn is also a weird place right now because of the changes they've undergone. So I don't want to, you know, Simmons, I don't think has had an easy time there either, but Fultz has just become so awesome almost in spite of his weaknesses. Like, I mean, think, think about the weaknesses that he had and still kind of does have versus Simmons. Like they're not super different. Like they kind of had offensive yips a little bit. Like they didn't have a ton of confidence in themselves not good shooters, but Fultz like has not let that hold him back. And when I watch him, he reminds me of Derrick Rose in like a much less explosive way. Like his shiftiness and his, the way he just moves his body is so alluring. I imagine as a defender where like he just moves his body in a way where you react to it. I'm like, I'm sitting on the couch watching him and just like being shaken up by Markel Fultz when he gets into the paint. Cause like, he doesn't even think about shooting. Like he just gets in the freaking paint. And if there's an opening, then he'll, he'll put up a shot. If there's not, he's going to whip it real quick to someone in the corner. Like he just completely collapses the defense and it doesn't really make sense because he's not super fast. He doesn't have a pull-up threat. But he just has the defense like on a string at all times. Like he is always getting in there and causing problems. And that's why, like, I think he is the ultimate eye test guy because his stats are never awesome. Like he'll have like 10, 15 points and, you know, six to nine assists a game. He's not hitting threes. Like he's not doing anything flashy. But you watch just the way the team moves around him, and it just always works. Like, they have a lot of point guard talent there. But when Fultz is on the floor, I just feel the most comfortable that things are just going to go well. Like, he doesn't make a ton of mistakes. He sets his guys up. And listen, if they want to play, like, him and Suggs together long term, I think they could figure that out. But I just know that when Fultz has the ball in his hand, I personally feel safe. You know, and it just I I feel like the magic earns in a really good spot when he's on the floor. Yeah, I agree. I think Fultz has been such a success that it's going to sound like I'm saying suggesting they give up on Suggs. I think you look you Suggs to look for an upgrade at the two. Yeah. Um. And you have Isaac Salary. Isaac Salary is not guaranteed fully next year. I think it's only seven point six guaranteed, which I have to imagine a team would waive pretty instantaneously. <laughs> given his injury history. Um, Suggs just... I think Fultz is the guy going forward. He matches, you know, 
he's young matches the timeline of your other guys um like you said he has all those positive qualities i don't really see the downside to going with Fultz over Suggs. I think Suggs, to, I, I still think Suggs has a great future in the NBA. I just don't think it's on this team. Like, and again, we're seeing it in Detroit right now. Guys just sometimes need to change the scenery. Get Suggs to a team where he can learn how to shoot. Honestly, why don't, aren't the Spurs trying to trade for Jalen Suggs? Like, I have an, a crazy idea. <laughs> Malachi Branham, first round pick, and Doug McDermott for Jalen Suggs. Right there, sends to the office. Right. I mean, Spurs get a point guard. Magic get a first round pick and a good young player and a good role player who helps with their shooting. I mean, because Fultz, Fultz and Ben Carroll both would benefit from more shooters, right? Yeah. Franz Franz needs another shooter too because Franz is kind of in that weird spot where he is the floor spacer but also he can do stuff. Yeah. And also Wendell is Wendell's kind of in that Miles Turner role too where he like needs the space out of necessity. Um and then you have Gary Harris out there who is shooting 44% from 3 Jesus. <laughs> When's the last time he did that? <laughs> Um, those studs from Fishers, Indiana, they just always figure it out. If he was still shooting 44% from three, if, if he was shooting 44% from three his last year in Denver, he would still be in Denver. They did not want to get rid of Gary Harris. I will tell you that much. They love Gary Harris in Denver. I still, I mean, honestly, we both know that's not real from Gary Harris, though, which is why we're suggesting we both love. Fisher's legend. Best player from Indiana going. That's right. <laughs> Gary Harris. Um, I think he brings, I think I would like to see him if he wants to stay in Orlando. And I mean, he doesn't seem opposed to it. He just signed an extension. Keep him like as a, you know, off the bench utility player, you know, as like him and Cole Anthony, right? <laughs> But I don't think I think you need to upgrade for that starting lineup. I don't think I don't think this team is very far away. This team needs to go for singles, not home runs now. Like you don't need to get like a super duper star. You have guys that could be super duper stars on your roster. And you like, I'll be honest. I'm not saying that all those guys could be all stars. Bolts has all star potential still as crazy as that sounds. Carter has all-star potential. Wagner has all-star potential. And Paolo has superstar potential. So you have four guys who have like crazy potential. I, is this the best spot Orlando's been in ever? At least since like the Dwight Howard years. Because let me tell you, I was talking about that Knicks game earlier. I that was a legitimate playoff experience. And it was in Orlando. Like that was not Madison Square Garden, which always feels like a fun game because there's always people there no matter how bad the Knicks are or really how bad the other team is too. It was in Orlando. Like Orlando as a Pacers fan, I know. 
Orlando and Indianapolis are not actually that different in like behavior and like the way that we handle things. Okay. If Orlando has a bad team, they're just not going to games. Like they have other things to do. And they, those fans, like they see something in this team. And it's almost like when you see the birds flying around, like at the end of winter, it's like 40 degrees, but you see some birds you haven't seen in a while. It's like, oh man, we must have spring right around the corner because the birds know. And like the next week, all of a sudden the tree buds are starting to bloom. It's like, okay, those birds are right. And that's, that's how I see it with the Orlando Magic fans. If they're in the arena, they know something's coming around the corner. So watching that game actually brought me back to when I was a kid watching those awesome magic teams that, you know, the one that made the finals against the Lakers, like that was a freaking fun team with Turk Lou and Jameer Nelson, big baby Davis. Like that was a fun time to be a magic fan. And really ever since that, they just haven't had it. But right now they're on the cusp and I'm getting excited just thinking about it. Sometimes writer Dylan Hughes pokes, it, pokes his head out on this podcast and makes an appearance. I, I wanted to make a go-go joke, but I, I will go ahead and let's just move on to the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, an actual true blue title contender. Um, 49 and 23, good for third in the Eastern Conference. The Celtics and the um, Sixers are flip-flopping like every other day, it seems. Um, they're half game behind the Celtics right now. They're three games behind the Bucks. I think the Bucks are probably going to get the first seed. Bucks are probably going to win 60 games. Um, just FYI. Like they've been insane in 2023. Like this calendar year. Not even been that guy. You know, who's been awesome is freaking drew holiday, dude, which is not shocking. God, I just love when drew holiday is this good. He's like one of the most, he's one of my favorite guys to root for. Like he's just so freaking good. Yeah, it's been, and hey, Grayson Allen, too. Grayson Allen, I think me and you, like, we have graduated on Grayson Allen. I was thinking about this last night. Grayson Allen is the type of guy that me and you just love to hate. You know what I mean? Like, the whole Duke thing and the tripping, like, every, I mean, everyone hated him. But, like, me and you, like, we just, he's, he's a guy that we love to hate. But he's just such a good freaking shooter. And just so he's been, he was good on Memphis and like that trade a couple of years ago with the Bucks. It's like, man, that's a good move. And like, I don't even think about the Duke bullshit anymore because he's just good. You know, he's just a good player. He's all, he's in the perfect situation. He really is. And he might not even be in the playoff rotation. That's, that's how deep they are this year. Like it's actually, it's actually insane. Like how good the Bucks are and they beat the Bucks. Um, I should note the Sixers have won nine of their last 10, starting with that Bucks game. Um, I will read the last five, though. Um, they beat the Cavaliers 118-109, beat the Hornets 121-8-82, beat the Pacers 141-121. Um, they also beat the Pacers another time in this stretch. Dylan, this hasn't this power hour has not been friendly to your Pacers. <laughs> when the Pacers, um, I'm happy. I don't know about everyone else. I'm happy when they lose the, the past few weeks for them. They've been too good. I, I haven't been a fan of it. Well, right now the Pacers are three and a half games behind 
or sorry, two and a half games behind the Magic. So you got some ground to make up. You got to jump three teams in the last nine games. I don't know if you got if you can do it. Um, then they just played the Bulls twice in a row. They lost the first game in double overtime, one hundred nine to one hundred five. So they went from scoring 141 in regulation against the Pacers to scoring 105 in double overtime against the Bulls. To then they beat the Bulls 116 to 91 on Wednesday. Um, just a real quick shout out to the Bulls. Um, I watched that game right before we started recording, and the Bulls defense is dogged. Like it is absolutely um insane. Bill, and this is the other comparison I wanted to make to you that I knew you would probably love. I've compared Embiid to Dirk. This isn't the comparison itself. I think Embiid and Dirk are very similar in that you give them the ball anywhere and they're going to make something good happen with it, right? You give Embiid the ball at the top of the key, he's going to make something good happen with it. You give Dirk the ball at the top of the key, something good's going to happen with it. That's not the comparison I want to make. The comparison I want to make is that this Mavs or this Sixers team is the 2011 Mavericks. Mm. The perfect blend of role players, guys in their career buying into the perfect roles on their team. Okay. So you have Joel Embiid, obviously the Dirk. I just brought up him as Dirk. James Harden, he's the kind of quasi Jason Terry, Jason Kidd mix right you could just call him jason kidd but he's like a little bit better than jason kidd was in 2011 right tyrese maxi we'll just call him jason terry okay you know coming off like coming off the bench a little bit you know really good score provides a punch when you need it tobias harris is the sean marion for this team really overqualified for his role now is tobias harris as good as sean marion was no. And that's kind of the theme of this comparison is that none of the guys are as good as the comparison I'm making, but it all kind of checks out. PJ Tucker, this is kind of PJ Tucker's kind of like forward Tyson Chandler, right? Kind of like the forward that Embiid needed to unlock his defense, right? Embiid's defense for me is at where it was when Simmons was playing. And I think he needed Tucker to kind of help take the load off of him in that way. And now Tucker you know, they don't have a Tyson Chandler on this team. And so I think in essence, Tucker is kind of doing the opposite of, and he has the opposite role, but is kind of having the same effect. Right. And then you go on down the line. Melton is kind of like, I don't know, Roddy Bobois, <laughs> but where he's like coming off the bench a little bit, but he's still making a huge impact. Um, Dylan, is this comparison absolutely crazy? Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Because like those, that Mavericks team kind of snuck up on you. I feel like, you know what I mean? He was kind of sneaking up on you. Yeah. But we're not quite there yet is the thing. Like, I think in three weeks, I think I'll be able to give you a good answer to that. But like, you need to, you need to be in the first round of the playoffs to kind of feel that I think. But I will say, man, I, I've been dubious about this Sixers team because just history. I mean, Harden, we know like Harden is always the guy that's just awesome in the regular season. And then it gets the playoffs and it's like, well, man, I don't know. He's not been nearly as good. 
The difference, I think, this time around is that he has Embiid. He's never had a guy like Embiid ever. Those Houston teams, like he had, I mean, Dwight Howard was good, not 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 as good as he you know was with the Magic, and Capella, like Capella is not even comparable to Embiid at all. Like he's never had that secondary guy, aside from Chris Paul, I guess you could argue, that has just has been this good. And Embiid has never had like a super elite all-around player except for Jimmy Butler, I would say. And Jimmy Butler almost got them to the East Finals. I mean, they the only reason they didn't make the finals that year was because Kawhi was the best player in the world. That it had really had nothing to do with the Sixers. It was just that Kawhi was the best player. And so I, I think it's possible for both Embiid and Harden to win a finals or at least make it. They just need to have the right guy. And I think that I, I think they could be each other's guy. Watching them now, I think they could be each other's guy. Because that Bucks game, which was a couple weeks ago at this point, but I think is worth it's it was a really big game for both teams, I think. And I mean Harden was just unbelievable. And he was playing with a gusto almost that I haven't seen in years out of him. Like we we know the end of his Houston run, like he just didn't really care. He was still good, you know, but like he had shitty teammates, like he just didn't care anymore. And with the Nets. We just didn't see him like the consistency wasn't there. He was, if if he was on the floor, he was really good at times, but also other times just kind of took a backseat to the other two guys. And like it, I don't, we just haven't seen that elite Harden, I don't think, in a few years, but I think we're seeing it now. And I mean, everyone knows Embiid is like, if he doesn't win the MVP second, you know, like he has just been completely dominant on a nightly basis. So you have those two guys playing at the peak of their powers. It is really, really hard to stop a team like that. And the supporting cast, I think, is just good enough where they can really make a run. Because Melton, we know, I mean, we've loved Melton for years. Total steal getting him. McDaniels, total steal getting him. And, you know, he's not going to be the offensive guy, but they don't need the offensive guy. Like, they need that guy that you can throw at whoever on the perimeter and make big defensive plays. Tobias Harris, we know he can be good. He's not always going to, but he can be really good. And obviously, Maxi. I mean, Maxi in a way, reminds me of Harden just with his efficiency. Like, he just gets buckets, and he doesn't really waste a ton of time. He's not uh, – maybe he dribbles a little bit too much sometimes, but, like, it always seems to work out. So, uh, this collection of guys around Harden and Embiid, it's, it's finally kind of grabbing me where I'm starting to actually have some confidence in them. I mean, two guys you didn't even bring up, Shake Milton and George Niang. You know, those two guys are playing way better than they have in years past, too. It's like you can actually trust Shake Milton now. You could used to not be able to trust Shake Milton. Like Shake Milton was like, okay, haha, you know, this guy's in the game great. He's gonna break all his threes. And, you know, he'll like try to make something happen, but then he won't. Now he's like Shake Milton's making 39% of his threes. Um, 
He's playing good defense out there. This is by far his best season. And then George Niang is just doing George Niang things, but he's doing it, you know, better than he ever has. He's getting flanked out there by, you know, better wing defenders. This team to me is like the perfect team you want to put around Embiid. I don't really think Daryl could have done a better job putting a team around Embiid. Now, Embiid is my MVP. Um, there's not going to be much that can happen unless he like gets hurt and misses the last 10 games. I don't think there's going to be much that can change my mind on that. He's averaging, he's leading the league in scoring. He's been for my money, one of the five best center defenders in the league this year. Just every time you go in the paint against Embiid, I'm sure you notice this. It's just like teams are so scared of him and he's averaging 1.7 blocks a game. I'm going to pull up his like last couple of years. I pretty sure that's, higher compared so yeah so last year 1.5 the year before that 1.4 year before that 1.3 this is highest since the year jimmy was there it's not a coincidence the numbers back up what the eyes are telling you he's playing this is the hardest he's played on defense in actual years okay now i'm not saying you know his offense was more than worthy of mvp consideration okay but the defense has taken it to a whole their level where and Jokic's defense has also slipped this year. His defense is Jokic's defense has been like actually atrocious. Um, Jokic's, I, I'd say the last couple of years they weren't even, but it was closer than people were willing to give it credit for. This year it's not like anywhere close. I, I don't think it's close at all. I I think everything favors Embiid. Honestly, I don't really see why it's even a discussion, especially everything. All like the other context factors, like. Everything's fairly equal between the two of them. <laughs> anyway, um, I think Embiid, the other key thing with him, other than the defense, has been him not being in like with his back to the basket so much. I'm sure you've noticed this too. He's playing a lot more face up this year, which is another reason why I made the Dirk comparison. Like he can do both. He can back you down. He can hit you with like the face up 15 footer fadeaway at the elbow. And he does that a lot. He picks, he rolls, he pops. He's just so versatile offensively. He's like a Swiss army knife. I don't know if there is a way to stop him. I really don't. I don't know if you watched the Celtics game. Um, Sixers Celtics, the one where they lost when um, Embiid threw the three quarters um, buzzer beater or almost buzzer beater. It like missed the buzzer by like, yeah, I think like 0.1 of a second. Embiid, I think, had 41 and I don't know how many rebounds, but he completely owned that game. He was by far the best player in that game. The only reason the Celtics won that game is because it was a team effort beating Embiid. Embiid can just take over any game now. Like, it's not even funny to me, like, how just dominant he is. And, yeah, the other guys around him are great. I I think what was concerning to me about that Bucks game is that, like you said, that was the best game we'd seen from Harden in actual years. It was an amazing Embiid game, and they only beat the Bucks by three points. <laughs> it took like a superhuman effort from Harden to beat the Bucks, and I don't know if they can do that four times in seven games. I'll say, Dylan, I think they could beat the Celtics. I think I like their chances against the Celtics a lot more, especially with how the Celtics have been faltering lately. Um, JD calls their coach <laughs> Joe Mozzarella sticks. <laughs> 
um, it's been kind of bad in Boston, and I think at this point I'm ready to take the Sixers over the Celtics. I don't. I still think Bucks. I'd favor the Bucks, but at this point, it's the Sixers are a formidable team. I think you got to give them the respect they deserve. Yeah, in a lot of ways, and I, I've said this before. I think I said this last playoffs is that Giannis is probably the only guy in the league that could guard Embiid and could really go toe-to-toe with him. So any other team that's not the Bucks, I think the Sixers have an advantage over, you know? And now that they finally have someone like Harden that can kind of be that counterbalance, it makes it interesting because there's definitely a chance that Harden will just not have a good game. Like, he's not a guy that you have, well, I think he's a guy you have to be scared of every night, but there's definitely a chance that he's going to suck and it's just going to be his thing. It's not like the defense did a really good job or whatever. Like there's a chance that he just sucks, but in a seven game series, you hope that that only happens once or twice and that the rest of the guys are good enough to make up for it. And I trust Embiid to be dominant every night. So you have him going and then you have, Harden or Maxi or whatever, like they they have a good chance against any other team. I still think the Bucks probably would be the favorite because Brooke Lopez is awesome too, you know. So you basically have two centers to throw at Embiid. I, I like I like that team's chances, <laughs> and it doesn't mean that the Sixers couldn't beat them, but they would need Harden to be really good in every game, but. Every other team, I think the Sixers could definitely beat. So I pulled up the cleaning the glass box score from that Celtics game. Um, just at the rim, okay. The Celtics were 21 of 32, two shooting fouls drawn. Okay, pretty good from stuff from Embiid. Um what killed the Sixers was that they allowed a ton of corner threes, or non-corner threes, excuse me, 14 of 32. On nine corner threes, that's like almost 50%. That's like actually insane. Um, the Sixers at the rim were 15 of 22. Not a whole lot of like quantity you would think at first, but they drew 11 fouls at the rim. And Beach shot 18 free throws that game. That was... The Celtics can't stop him inside. Even with Rob Williams, Rob Williams changes the complexity of the Celtics. But even with Rob Williams, they don't have an answer for MB. It's not simple. Yeah, you're right. I think Brooke Lopez and Giannis, right? But Embiid facing up is doing a interesting thing where when you send the double now, it's harder to pass out of a double team with your back to the basket because you're missing somebody when your back is to the basket because it's just harder to see that other person. But when you're facing up and the double team comes, now you see the whole floor clearly. And now you can see, oh, hey, Tobias is open in the corner. Let's just kick it to him. Oh, hey, if I kick it to Maxi, he'll have Tobias open in the corner for the hockey assist. Or he'll have James open in the corner for the hockey assist. There's so many. And Bede's passing. He was never a bad passer by any means. I. It's just not on Jokic's level. But him facing up has unlocked his passing to an extent where he's he was always unstoppable, but now it's just like, what are you supposed to do? You can throw the kitchen sink at him. 
and you just you can't do anything about it. You just have to pray they miss their shots. And in that Celtics game, Harden was five for sixteen. But there's going to be games where he doesn't go five for sixteen. There's going to be games where Tobias Harris, well, Tobias was good that game, but Maxi was only four for ten. Um, Melton only shot four shots that game. You know that wasn't the Sixers' best showing as a whole. There's going to be games where they're hitting more of their shots around Embiid. And those are the games where you're going to be terrified. Those guys are all, for the most part, playoff proven guys with the exception of Maxi. I'll trust all those guys in a playoff series. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fun to think about. It's fun to think about this team because ever since the, ever since the process, it's just like, I feel like everyone's been invested in the Sixers doing something. Because they went through, like, they publicly embarrassed themselves for years. And they never really got the reward. Like, getting Embiid and Simmons is great, but they didn't, they didn't do anything with that pairing. Now they still have Embiid. And Embiid is the guy that's always embraced the process and called himself the process, you know. So now that they're in this position where it, it, it just feels different. It, it almost feels like it did when they had Jimmy Butler, where it's like they they have a dog that can win a fight for them finally, and and Embiid is almost turned into Jimmy Butler, I think, in a way. Like Embiid needed Jimmy Butler when he was younger. Now he is Jimmy Butler, and now he needed that partner in crime, and he's got heart, you know. So we're gonna see what happens. I, I don't want to get my hopes up too much. But I, I really do like this place they're in. I think Maury has done a good job of building a team in a way that kind of just it all flows. Like everyone has different roles. And they all accept it and they all play the role and it works out. And it's it's similar to how the Rockets did it, but it's it's a different style now because they never had a guy like Embiid. And a guy like Embiid really changes the equation. For sure. Um, I guess I have to ask, I, I do want to give a shout out to Tobias Harris, who I think has been a punching bag of this podcast in particular for the whole time it's existed. He has done great taking a smaller role. 15 and six on four, 50% shooting from the field, 39% from three. Um, just taking the shots when they come to him. I, you know, we have to give credit where credit's due. And he's allowed to disappear now, which I think is perfect for him. Him being the first option or second option isn't going to work out for you. Him being the fourth option is, I think, ideal for him. I think my question is, if you were going to try to poke any holes in the Sixers, what would you try to do to poke a hole in like them maybe winning a championship? Oh, man. I mean, it, it's got to be... It's just got to be Embiid and Harden coming up short in some way. Like, I feel like as far as supporting cast goes, I feel like they kind of have everything you need. Um, I mean, like, Maxi is almost like two and one as far as supporting cast. Like, most supporting casts, like, you've got a good ball handler that's, you know, kind of gets things done. And then you've got a good off-ball guy that hit shots, cuts, and Maxi's kind of all of that. So Maxi really 
does a lot to make me feel confident in this team. And, you know, Harris, like, again, the rest of these guys, you like, you kind of know what to expect. We've seen all these guys. I think Melton adds a little bit more safety as far as like a backup that you usually don't see. Like he's a guy that you can rely on pretty much every night. So for me, like if those guys come up small, like that just happens. That happens. Every single good team has role players that just are not always there. And the teams that get lucky and win the finals are the teams that somehow have one or two or three bench guys that are just awesome the whole time. And I think a good example of that was Pat Connaughton for the Bucks a few years ago, where in the final, he was just really good. And that was almost a differentiator, even though they had Giannis and they had Middleton and Drew Holiday. It was that consistency from Connaughton that really kind of sealed the deal. And on the other side with the Suns, you didn't see that. That consistency wasn't really there with their role guys, so they didn't win. So you can't rely too much on the role players. You do have to get lucky with them. But ultimately for the sixth, I think it's just going to come down to, you know, can Harden be awesome in a seven-game series enough where you can win? And you could say the same thing about Embiid. I think Embiid has just unlocked a different version of himself that it's – if he has a bad game, he's still getting 25 and 10. You know what I mean? But Embiid or Harden, he could have five points – and shoot 15 shots like that is very possible so he did that in that bulls game exactly exactly yeah so that's that's kind of where i'm at like if if they falter it's probably because harden just wasn't good enough yeah it's a simple answer but it's the truest one um harden is the key that unlocks so much of what they try to do, but it's at the same time, you don't want to be like, oh, haha, Harden sucks in the playoffs, but at the same time, it's just been the story of their of his career. He's been the one who's and Embiid, you can explain away everything. Like, I could explain to you at, like, you know everything that he's done wrong. It hasn't always been his fault. Like, 2018-19, right? They win that series if they have even a half decent backup center. <laughs> if it's not Greg Monroe at the backup five. Okay. 2019-20. Um, was that the year he that was the year where they were the sixth seed and everything just went wrong after they let Jimmy go. That was the Josh Richardson year. Okay, that season was doomed from the start. Wasn't really his fault. 2020-21. Um he wasn't great in that series, but that was the Ben Simmons year. Okay, where that whole house of cards collapsed. Last year, got punched in the face in the first... I got elbowed in the face, excuse me. I want to correct my verbiage there. Um, by Siakam. And just his whole season got ruined. And he still played admirably in the playoffs. But it's like, what are you going to do with a broken face? You know, especially one that was as broken as his was. Harden doesn't have those same excuses. Like, we can't give him the same benefit of the doubt because we've seen it. And the only benefit of the doubt Harden gets is Chris Paul in 2018. I think that's probably it. So I think this is more of a prove it year for Harden. And it sounds like Harden wants to go back to Houston anyway. I'll believe that when I see it. 
but if he's what? so dead set on, what? Why is that a rumor? Like, is that I? There's no reason for him to want to go back to Houston. <laughs> I don't get that. Um, he must just miss the strip club so much. That's the only reason I could think. Like, we know he's a big partier. Yeah, but I don't understand. I don't understand it either. It's strange. It defies all logic and reason. Can you imagine uh, him and Alan Green playing together? It, it, I, don't, I don't think he would be good at all. At least Jabari Smith would get, have someone setting him up finally. Jabari um, Smith, but Jalen Green, which maybe is on the way out himself, like, I don't know. But him and Harden together, I don't know. I, I don't think that would be good to watch. Listen, you know, anytime you can bring back a legend in his past prime, you got to do it. So I think that we covered just about everything there was to cover on this episode. We went in depth on four teams, which is something we had never done. We'd never revisited a team for a third time. Like we said, um, Dylan, thank you so much for joining me. What it was the, um, Reverend Peyton's big damn band got coming up. Oh man, we got a busy year. Like, we're about to head out to the East Coast. We're doing North Carolina, Virginia, a little bit of Georgia, working the way up through Baltimore and Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. You know, we uh, we do pretty well on the East Coast, so we'll be out there. And then we're doing some Midwest stuff before we go to Europe in June. You know, we're kind of just we're kind of just building up to Europe. So. It's it's going to be a, a fun, fun year. This will probably be the last time we hear from you before. Uh, before I don't know when. So the next month, I'm pretty busy, but we, we got some time off in May. I'll be here so, in May to talk playoffs. There we go. At least we'll have you for a little bit of the playoffs. Um, so make sure you check. Make sure you check out um, the big damn band. Reverend Peyton. Um, make sure you check out the other podcasts on this network. Make sure you check out other episodes of the Power Hour. Um, next episode of the Power Hour will be the Bulls, the Nets, and the Suns. Um, really couldn't be a worse week to talk about the Nets or the Suns. <laughs> I mean, the Nets, you know, we were going to have to talk about them again at some point. But the Suns, man, sucks. That one I put off for a while, but Katie's not coming back in the regular season. Um, the last episode we did was the Clippers, the Jazz, and the Wizards. Again, Wizards don't ever want to talk about them on the Power Hour. I've never gone into Wizards Week being like, great, we get to talk about the Wizards. But them's the hey, breaks they, when you're doing... They were, fun. they were fun last year. When they had Westbrook, there were some fun times. Come on. Dylan, that was two years ago. Okay. Two years ago when they had Westbrook, it was fun times. I liked watching those Wizards teams. Um, so make sure you check out those power hours. Make sure you check out Linsanity. March Madness is on the upswing. Um, like we talked about at the beginning of the episode. Um, who do you got to win it all now that we're on second day of Sweet 16? Um, this episode is going to come out this Friday, so we don't know who's going to be in the elite eight yet on the other side, but we know who half the teams are in the elite eight. Who, who do you got winning it all? 
Well, the team I picked from the beginning, Alabama, is still kicking. And, you know, they got arguably the best player in the country right now. So I'm sticking with them. Um, I had I had them playing St. Mary's. I watched one. I watched one St. Mary's game against Gonzaga, and I was just, I was just in on St. Mary's, and they, they lost to UConn. But UConn's a freight train, man. They won by like twenty three or twenty five last night. Like, if you're winning by twenty plus points at this stage in the tournament, you're a freaking good team. So, UConn, that might be the team that's that sneaks up. I mean, they're not really sneaking at this point, but they, they've got a shot. I don't know if you heard FAU's the official team of the power hour. So I'm rooting for them until they get knocked out. Um, they have not been knocked out. They beat Tennessee yesterday. Every year, or not every year, but like every two or three years, there's just a random Florida team that goes off, you know? Well, well, um, Janelle Davis is from Gary. So there we go. Representing some area pride here. Right. That's why got a root for uh, FAU there. Make sure you check out Circle City Cinema. Zach Griffith is putting out a ton of content. I will be on to talk about Succession. Um, Bryce is on every week to talk about The Mandalorian. Succession coming back this week, Dylan. I know. know. Final season. Bittersweet. It's It's good. It's good. And, and this is why I like HBO is that they don't push it. They never, ever push it. They always do the right amount of seasons. If they ever do too many seasons, it's just like one. It's like the last season was maybe too much. But so many other networks, dude, they're pushing it to 10 years no matter what, if they can. But some seas- some shows just need three, four seasons. In HBO... I trust the most to get it right. So I, I think this will be a good season. For sure. Make sure you check out all that. And Dylan, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. And I want to thank you all so much for listening.